Well, good morning, everyone. Get situated here. Too many things. Yeah, have you guys been enjoying these last few days? I, hopefully you have not been huddled in your house, but you've been able to get outside. So, um, well, good morning, friends, and good morning to those of you that are uh, watching online. Uh, glad you uh, once again can join us. Um, hey, how about them Padres? Oh, nobody's from San Diego? Come on, guys, it's been 100 years since we've even been, even sniffed it. So anyways, if you're new with us, I am from California and uh, mostly San Diego, so anyways. But uh, let, me, let me start by this. Let me all ask you a question. Uh, who here has a good memory? <laughs> I didn't expect that, I'm sorry. <laughs> like, you can remember things from when you were two years old, right? Things that happened. I, I was talking to somebody this week, and we were talking, oh yeah, I remember when I was three, and da 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 and I was like, that is not possible. You cannot do that. But I have a terrible memory when it comes to my, my childhood. And that became evident to me in our Emotionally Healthy Spirituality course um, as I tried to remember things about my life. And uh, by the way, uh, our first, uh, we're having that class starting on Tuesday. There's still time for you to sneak in if you're nice, okay? So you can sign up for that. Please do, all right? But um, yeah, I just couldn't remember a lot of things about my life. And of course, some memories can be fun and others are not so much fun. And, uh, but it's fun to remember good memories. Like, I remember the first time I met Erin, my wife. It was in our freshman English class in high school. So I can remember high school, it's pretty good, right? The rest of it, I have no idea. And I remember the first time that I held her hand at a football game. I know when it was, where it was, who we were playing, where exactly we were sitting. And it was the start of our relationship, which has lasted uh, 46 years. And actually, um, um, so we dated for a while, actually coming up on our 40th wedding anniversary just here in a few weeks. And so I remember all those, those are great, good memories. Other stuff, not so much, no. Here you go, quirky things about your pastors, right? I almost now have a phobia to remembering names. I mean, I hit a wall. I'm at that point where my mind just goes completely blank and I freeze up. I don't know what to do. I'm afraid to try to remember because if I do remember, I'm probably gonna say the wrong name. Uh, anyways, I'm gonna get it all wrong. And I know there's all kinds of tricks to it. I'm sure somebody will come up to me afterwards. Hey, have you tried this? I've tried it, okay? You know, think of something really weird about that person. You know, they got a huge nose the size of a New York skyscraper and then da -da -da, connect the name to it. Well, well, I forget the stories that are attached to the person, so I can't get there. Uh, but anyways, so what does this have to do with our message? I have no idea. <laughs> I thought we needed a good intro, right? Yeah, but actually, uh, the first two words of our section of scripture that we're going to be talking about this morning, Ephesians chapter 2, verses 11 through 22, are therefore remember, okay? And so before we go much further, let's go ahead and stand, and we're going to read uh, the section of scriptures. It's a little long, but if you're going to use our, our pew Bible, uh, you can go to page 976.
I forgot my Bible this morning, so I'm using this really fresh, really nice, not written in, clean Bible. But let's go ahead and read it. Uh, starting in verse 11. Therefore, remember that at one time, you Gentiles in the flesh called the uncircumcision by what is called the circumcision, which is made in the flesh by hands. Remember that you were at the time separated from Christ, alienated from the commonwealth of Israel, strangers to the covenants of promises, having no hope and without God in the word, world. But now in Christ Jesus, you, have once, you who once were far off have been brought near by the blood of Christ. For he himself is our peace, who has made us both one and has broken down in the flesh the dividing wall of hostility by abolishing the law of commandments expressed in ordinances that he might create in himself one new man in place of the two, so making peace, and might reconcile us both to God in one body through the cross, thereby killing the hostility. And he came and he preached peace to you who were far off and peace to those who were near. For through him we both have access in one spirit to the Father. So then you are no longer strangers and aliens, but you are fellow citizens in the with the saints and members of the household of God, built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets, Christ Jesus himself being the cornerstone, in whom the whole structure being joined together grows into a holy temple in the Lord. In him you also are being built together into a dwelling place for God by the Spirit. This is God's word. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your word. It's always challenging. It's always rich. It's the truth. We pray this morning that we would hear your voice above all others and that would wash through uh, your word, that you would teach us this morning what you want us to know, where you want to move us, and where you want to challenge us. And we pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Okay, go ahead and take a seat here. Um, so before we dive into this, um, I need you to see everything that we talk about this morning through two lenses, okay? The first lens is looking back at the early church, which we're going to talk about here, the birth, the opening of the doors to the Gentiles, um, but the situation, you know, looking at the situation that was actually happening. The second lens that I want you to look at here is here and now. So this is your life and my life, our stories, because this is relevant to us today. So when we start looking at stories, in any good story, especially if you're talking about a true story of redemption, there's always a backstory, right? There's always a backstory. And before coming to faith, you and I, we had a backstory. And you may be sitting here investigating Jesus, this thing called Christianity. Well, you too have a backstory. In Ephesians chapter 2, verses 11 through 22 here, we're going to peek into the first century backstory of real people, things that really happened. God asking them to remember their backstory before Christ. An amazing thing about this backstory is that the truths here travel through time. Because for most of us, this is our backstory too before we became Christians. All this, excuse me, through God's eyes. And I want you to think of this backstory. I want you to think of it in the context in which Paul was writing. And so as we look at this backstory, it's going to give us an idea of what that context looks like. Throughout almost all of human history, there have been divisions between people, right? 
Everywhere in the world through history, this has been the case. It's happening today. We see it ramping up even more. I mean, y'all remember high school, right? Okay, good, good. See, it's, it's on, <laughs> you're doing great. So like in my world, way back in 73 through whatever, um, there was the jocks, right? And the nerds and the loadies, the cheerleader gang. Uh, we had some racial groups uh, during that time. Um, uh, the Hispanic, Hispanics, they, they call themselves Chicanos in California. We had the Vietnamese and the whites. So that was our, our lookup. Now there's some of you kids here that are in junior high and high school. You have little groups of people that hang out together too. And so they're there. But if you look at historically, uh, if you go back to uh, in Ireland, where you had the Catholics and the Protestants. Like supposedly they uh, signed some peace treaties there about 25 years ago, but there's still some issues there. You can go to the Middle East and um, there's an ongoing feud there, uh, prejudicial feud between uh, Muslims in that part of the world, between the Shia and the Sunni in Islam, also in the Middle East between the Arab and the Israelis, today the Palestinians and Israelis, also in Syria between the Kurds and the Druze and the Yazidis, I'm probably uh, not pronouncing these right, but also, you know, historically down in Australia, between Australians and the, the native Australians, the Aborigines. In South Africa, they had apartheid. In the United States, we had a civil war. In Rwanda, there was a tribal feud between the Hutus and the uh, Tutsis. So historically, there's always been divisions between people. And I say all of that because now what we need to understand is that in this first century in which Paul the Apostle wrote this and other letters, the same thing was happening, if not worse. It was a world that was torn by cultural, national, and racial instability. And so when Paul wrote this letter to the Ephesians, it was in the midst of this huge, unrelenting, ugly, long division between the Jews and the Gentiles. And so when you read up on this and you study up on this, many sources tell us that the, uh, this is how it looked like. This is what the Jews believed. The Jews believed the Gentiles were created to fuel the fires of hell. Makes for good relationship, right? And then listen to this. It wasn't lawful to aid a Gentile woman in giving birth. Why? Because that would bring another heathen into the world. One source said that Jews regarded Gentiles as sick, and perverted pagans who engaged in idol worship and gross sexual immorality and who had no regard for, their, for the true God. And this went both ways. The Gentiles had their things uh, against the Jews and what they thought of them. And so there were all kinds of divisions where Paul was writing this, political, cultural, food, religious, and more. And here's the thing. This obviously caused issues, right? It caused huge problems in the church as Gentiles became Christians. And they were adopting the same faith as the Jewish believers who had also become Christians as well. So can you say awkward? I mean, you know, it's hard for us to, for us to go there and to feel this and to be there, but the animosity was vicious and real and hard. And so you have the, the first Christians were the Jews and then all of a sudden, the Gentiles are coming in. Those people? Are you kidding me? So possible issues in the church? Yeah. 
And so bringing this into our time and space, I want you just to imagine, once again, I thought it was, you know, it's kind of hard, but can you imagine like the Ku Klux Klan being made one with the black community? I mean, or skinheads and neo-Nazis being made one with the Jews? It's crazy, right? Well, in essence, that's what was happening. This is what we're talking about in that time. It was no less crazy than that. And so this is the context that Paul writes in to the Ephesians. And when Paul wrote this, Christianity was a pretty young religion, somewhere around like 50 years or so. And then at that time, because it had started with mostly Jewish converts, Christianity was viewed as a very Jewish religion. So they were protecting. So they come out of this, they accepted Christ, they believe in Christ, but they were still seeing it as a Jewish religion. And so that's the context that Paul was writing to here uh, to the Ephesians. This division between the Jews and the Gentiles. Remember uh, our last series, we always talked about, you know, on how not to read the Bible. One of the most important things is to get an idea of the context of what was going on and why what was written to the people of that time because it had to deal with the context. So it begins by saying in verse 11, therefore, our, one of our favorite words in the Bible. And of course, therefore, as we've taught many times, you look at what came before this here. And so it connects what Paul is about to say with everything that he has just said. And in this case, I believe it goes all the way back to chapter one. So I think you can take that therefore and just read all of that through to this point here. And what was that? Well, it's very important. Remember last week? If you go back to verses one through 10, you will see the gospel laid out explicitly and in explicit detail going all the way through it. Pastor Nick did such a great job in helping us with that and helping us see that. And so Paul, he has just described how God has taken people who were dead in trespasses and sins and made them alive together with Christ by grace through faith. Ephesians 2, right? Ephesians 2, 8 and 9. So you were dead, but now you are alive. You have made all new by God's incredible act of grace. And so Paul has really up until this time, he has focused on how faith in Jesus changes our vertical relationship with God, right? All of chapter one and two there. And you'll often hear, um, I know Pastor Chris has mentioned uh, many times, talk about this vertical versus horizontal relationship uh, when we are believers. So Paul now, he's beginning to talk about the horizontal implications of faith, in this case, of accepting Jesus and writing specifically to the Gentiles. Now, what is the second word? The second word is remember. I don't want you to worry, guys. We're not going to take word by word through all. Through. <laughs> I'll promise that I'll get you guys out of here by tonight, okay? <laughs> all right. But Paul gives us six descriptions of what it was like for the Ephesians who weren't Jewish. Not only, uh, were they, not only were they alienated and cut off from God because of sin, but were also alienated or cut off from the people of God. This was their position. In verse 11, basically, it tells them that they're not Jews. In verse 12, it continues by telling them what being a Gentile means in relation to God's chosen people to the Jews. So let's look at this. So remember here, uh, here it goes in verse 11. Therefore, remember that at one time, you Gentiles in the flesh called the uncircumcision by what is called the circumcision, which is made in the flesh by hands. So the first description, 
You were Gentile. Okay, I know that. In the flesh. Okay. But that was a very punctuated, um, you know, you are not Jewish. You are Gentiles. Okay. Outsiders, foreign born, not Jewish. Second, they were called uncircumcised, which was used by the Jews towards the Gentiles as a huge put down. You know, even more, not only Jew, but you're not even circumcised, okay? Think David, right? First Samuel. Who is this uncircumcised Philistine, right? Yeah. Another translation reads, and called uncircumcised. This clarifies it for you a little bit better. And called uncircumcised by those who call themselves the circumcision. So the Jews were ripping on the Gentiles, telling them that they weren't this. They were calling them uncircumcised. And the second part, which is made in the flesh by hands. I think Paul, what he was doing, you know, he was saying it was made in the flesh by hands. Not by God, but by hands. I think he was calling out the Jews here uh, and stated, you know, as he stated later on, as we'll read, that, you know, just because they were circumcised didn't mean that they would be accepted by God because he looks at the heart. Galatians 5, 6, for in Christ Jesus, neither circumcision nor uncircumcision counts for anything, but only faith working through love. So, by the way, do you guys remember what the, uh, the very first major debate among the believers was? It was whether or not the Gentiles needed to be circumcised in order to become a Christian. So they had this big uh, discussion that came together, Acts uh, chapter 5. Brothers, you know that in the early days God made a choice among you, that by my mouth the Gentiles should hear the word of the gospel and believe. Hey, it's been promised the Gentiles are going to come in. And God, who knows the heart, bore witness to them by giving them the Holy Spirit, just as he did to us. And he made no distinction between us and them, having cleansed their hearts by faith. Now, therefore, why are you putting God to the test by placing a yoke on the neck of the disciples that neither our fathers nor we have been able to bear? Verse 11, but we believe that we will be saved through the grace of the Lord Jesus, just as they will. Okay. He then, again, says, remember, for the second time, verse 12. He has more here for them. 12, remember that you were at that time separated from Christ, alienated from the commonwealth of Israel, and strangers to the covenants of promise, having no hope and without God in this world. So not only were you Gentiles in the flesh and uncircumcised, number three, you were separated from Christ. They weren't in Christ, they weren't with Christ, they were separated from Christ. Same backstory for us too, right? Put, this, put your other lens on, same backstory. Fourth, excluded or alienated from the commonwealth of Israel, meaning that they were excluded from the rights, the privileges, the blessings, the resources, all these things that were afforded uh, to the Jews as God's chosen people. And during that time, or up until that time, God had restricted these things, you know, for the Jews. So they're being reminded, remember, remember where you were, remember all these things, remember what, what the Jews thought of you, remember what people thought of you, remember what you thought of yourself. Next, they were strangers to the covenants of promise. So, and this points to the covenants that were given to the Jews, Abraham, Moses, David, the different, different covenants there. 
And these were all promises. They were given to the, the Jews um, that God was going to be faithful to his people and he was going to fulfill his word in them. And the Gentiles, they didn't have any of that. They did not have those promises. Six and seven. These are, these are, these are hard. Having no hope and without God in this world. It's like, yeah, I want to be one of those. I want to be, you know what, guys? Before Christ, we were one of those. That's part of our backstory before Christ. I mean, what did they have to look forward to? It actually must have been kind of painful, uh, you know, starting to read this as, as Paul was reminding them where they were. But they nothing eternally. Now, they didn't know it unless somebody had talked to them prior to this point in time that God had planned and promised to include them one day. But at this point, uh, perhaps they didn't know that. Pretty miserable plight, right? Not real, not real good. William Hendrickson quoted in several commentaries. Uh, he said this, Before coming to Jesus, Gentiles were Christless, stateless, friendless, hopeless, and godless. They were once alienated from God and from God's people of Israel. There was, um, and what we will see because of this, and we'll see this in verse 14, this created this wall, this created this separation between which we're going to see in just a moment here. Okay, hold on to your hats because it's going to get exciting. No hats, okay, all right, just checking. <laughs> so that's all the bad news, right? So verse 13, okay, remember all the past, remember the backstory here, verse 13. But now, in Christ Jesus, you who once were far off have been brought near by the blood of Christ. But now, in Christ Jesus, that's the difference here, in Christ Jesus, but now, or but God, best words ever, right? Remember Nick referred to that, it was back... Um, uh, in uh, the first part there in verse 4 in the New Testament I think there it's 30 to 40 different times it refers it, it gives a, um, a commentary on something that is not real favorable and then it says but but God and so when we know we hear but God we know something good is happening. And, and the situation here is like they've been reading a, a novel and it's been terrible. I mean, it's just page after page after page, nothing but bad news. And then they turn the page, and there's a surprise. All of a sudden, everything changes. The whole narrative changes. But now, in Christ Jesus, everything changes. So let's read. Back through 13 through 19 again, and I want you to see this. And we're going to find out everything that was accomplished by Jesus for them, therefore accomplished for us too. Verse 13. But now in Christ Jesus, you who once were far off have been brought near by the blood of Christ. For he himself is our peace, who has made us both one, has broken and has broken down in his flesh the dividing wall of hostility by abolishing the law of commandments expressed in the ordinances, ordinances that he might create in himself one new man in place of the two, so making peace. And he might reconcile us both to God in one body through the cross, thereby killing the hostility. And he came and he preached peace to you who were far off and peace to those who were near. For through him, we both have access in one spirit to the Father. So then you are no longer strangers and aliens, 
but you are fellow citizens with the saints and members of the household of God. But now, but now in Christ Jesus, and I've listed 10 things accomplished by, uh, by Jesus being now in Jesus, by the sacrifice of Jesus, being brought near to God, um, brought peace into our lives, we were made, made us one, broken down a dividing wall of hostility. He created, he created a new man. He reconciled us to God. He killed the hostility between the Jews and the Gentiles. They have all have access to the Father now. They're fellow citizens and members of the household of God. And, and that's just, it's astonishing. It is amazing. All those things because of what Christ has done. Think of your life. Remember, but now, all those things afforded to them afforded to us. Now there's there's so much here we can't really walk through them in depth, but we're going to we're going to try to get through them, okay? The first one brought near to God by the blood of Jesus. So because of who Jesus is, because of what he has done for us, his sacrificial death and res resurrection, we are brought near to God. In fact, this moment was prophesied in a sense from the very beginning, right? When God talked to uh, said to Abraham in Genesis chapter 12, I will make you into a great nation. I will bless you. I will make your name great, and you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you. I will curse anyone who treats you with contempt, and all the peoples on earth will be blessed through you. All the peoples on the earth will be blessed through you. The Gentiles will be coming in, prophesied all the way back in Genesis chapter 12. Secondly, brought peace into our lives. So, Peace was brought in. Peace with God and the opportunity for peace with the body of Christ. It wasn't there, but because of what Christ did, there is now the opportunity for peace. And I don't want you to miss this. He doesn't just bring peace. In verse 13, he says that he is our peace. Verse 15, he made peace by what he did. Verse 17, he preached peace. And so this whole section of scripture is immersed with peace, what Jesus had brought to them. And so uh, Paul is emphasizing this. Even in Ephesians chapter 6, verse 15, Paul refers to Christianity as the gospel of peace. Okay, next one. He made us both one. They became one. We became one. Galatians 3.28, there is neither Jew nor Greek, there is neither slave nor free, there is no male and female for you all Excuse me, for you are all one in Christ Jesus. And that's it's huge. It's huge. Next, broken down the dividing wall of hostility. Now, this is really kind of interesting because um, there's kind of a, a tiny debate on this, but several commentaries, they had a discussion on whether this is a, a literal wall or, or, or a metaphor. And so here's a quote from John Stott from his commentary. Um, and uh, if you want, I think we have a picture of the temple. Might be able to put up, possibly. Okay, you guys can kind of read that there. All right. I want you to pay attention to the area. It says Court of Gentiles. It's that big space all the way um, around there. He said that some argue that this refers literally to the temple balustrade, which separated the court of the Gentiles from the inner courts and the sanctuary. It was a notable feature of Herod's temple in Jerusalem. The temple itself was on an elevated platform. Around it was the court of the priests. To the east was the court of Israel. Further east was the court of the women. These three courts for the priests, the laymen, and lay women of Israel 
respectively, we're all on the same elevation as the temple is up. So these, these are elevated um, up. From this level, then one went down five steps to a wall platform, and then on the other side of the wall, 14 more steps to another wall, beyond which was the outer court or court of the Gentiles. That's the area that you see. This was a spacious court running right around the temple and its inner courts. And from any part of it, the Gentiles could look up and they could view the temple, but they were not allowed to approach it. They were cut off from it by the surrounding wall, which was one and a half meters stone barricade, on which were displayed at intervals around this wall warning notices, both in Greek and in Latin, that said that basically read, in effect, no trespassers will be, uh, not, excuse me, yeah, I agree, totally. Um, basically it says trespassers will be executed. And um, I'll throw up a couple of uh, other pictures here. Two of these exact stones, they were actually found, one in 1871 and one in 1935. Um, there's one, and there's, there should be another one there. And that's what they say. Basically, you're going to die if you try to go up here. So um, personally, myself, I kind of take this as metaphorical, you know, uh, and you know, like there was figuratively a wall between them. It's like if you and I were having an argument, we really don't like each other, we disagree disagree with each other, and um, you know, you just can't get through to them because of course you're right and they're wrong, right? And so you have the, you would say, we have this wall of separation, okay? So this wall of separation, it's been torn down by the power of the gospel that being Jesus, and the breaking down of the dividing wall of hostility was done by, according to, uh, to verse 15, by abolishing the law of commandments expressed in ordinances. So there was something that was creating the wall of separation. Uh, among other things, it, the major thing was the law of commandments expressed in the ordinances that the Jews were carrying on and uh, taking with them into this new uh, Christianity. Theologian Klein Snodgrass says this, he suggests that Paul does not abolish the law as the word of God or as a moral guide. What is abolished is the law as a set of regulations that excludes Gentiles. The moral instruction of the law, that continues, but Paul will tolerate no practice of the law that excludes Gentiles or forces them to become Jews. Uh, this is backed up by another commentary, John Stott, where he says that Paul's primary reference here, the main thing that he was talking about here seems to be the ceremonial laws and what the, uh, the NEB Bible calls its rules and its regulations. And finally, Calvin explained it this way. And this was important. I got three quotes in here just kind of for you to be able to see what was brought in and, and what the Jews thought it should be and what Paul was telling them is to be. Calvin explained this. What had been metaphorically understood by the word wall is now more plainly expressed. The ceremonies by which the distinction was declared have been abolished through Christ. What were circumcision, sacrifices, washings, and abstaining from certain kinds of food, but symbols of sanctification reminding the Jews that their lot was different from that of other nations. Paul declares not only that the Gentiles are equally with the Jews admitted to the fellowship of grace so that they no longer differ from each other, but that the mark of difference has been taken away, for ceremonies have been abolished. Next up, created a new man. Verse 15, 
that he might create in himself one new man in the place of the two, therefore making peace. So what had happened here, here, so, so by abolishing these ceremonies, they created these differences, they created these barriers, this wall here between the Jews and the Gentiles, okay? Not, once again, talking about the moral laws that still stand. He said that Jesus created in himself by what he did, one new man from the two, resulting in peace. And so the result here is that there's no longer two kinds of people. There's been a new creation, a new person, a new race, so to speak, the Jews and Gentiles together. So now there are only Christians. And this, in a sense, is the creation of a whole new race, a whole new mankind. And this is a monumental pivot in, his pivot in history. And you know what it's called? It's called the body of Christ. In other words, it's the church. We are, as the body of Christ, we are that new creation. It's been created by what Jesus has done, and he brings it together. So Paul goes on further to describe this wonderful miracle, and he says this in verse 16. He did this so that he might reconcile both, reconcile the Jews and the Gentiles to God into this one body again, through what? Through the cross, through Jesus, thereby doing what? Killing the hostility, number seven, if you're keeping count here. He reconciled us and he killed, and he killed the hostility because of this. Don't look at each other, look at Christ on the cross. Look what he has done for you. Look how he has loved for you. Look how he has sacrificed to you. That's what I want you to look. That is going to draw you together. So, in essence here, he's not saying that the Jews had Jesus and the Gentiles didn't have Jesus. Both the Jews and the Gentiles, they needed Jesus. They both needed to be reconciled to God. Paul says in verse 17 that Jesus came and proclaimed the good news of peace to what? You who were uh, far away, the Gentiles and peace to those who are near. So the gospel was given to both. They both needed. The Jews weren't just automatically saved. They too had to come to Christ. Far away and near, we all need Jesus. Then in verse 18, the result. We have access to the Father. Verse 18. For through him, we both have access, both of us, in one spirit to the Father. Now, what do you guys see that's really cool in that verse? I'll give you one second and I'll answer it. The Trinity. Right? What does it say? All of us have access to God, the Father, in the Holy Spirit through the work of Jesus. So, so let's just circle that in your Bible, a little picture of the Trinity there. Therefore, verse 19 Next one, we are fellow citizens and finally members of the household of God. We all get to enter. That door is open. We're members of the household of God. Verse 19, so then you are no longer strangers and aliens, but you are fellow citizens with the saints and members of the household of God. So when we become a Christian, or as, as Christian Paul explained to the Gentiles and Jews here, not only does it change our relationship with God, right? The vertical. It also moves us into the church, the body of Christ, into a relationship with others. And that's the horizontal part of what Jesus did. So we have 
uh, the vertical and the horizontal. We become part of that new man, that new humanity, the body of Christ. And so this is what happens. Our identity changes. Now, we all have basic ethnic um, you know, family identities, right? But our new identity, this new man or woman that we are, it supersedes any other identity that you may have had before in your life, be it ethnic or whatever. So we overcome any social differences in our lives. And now remember, this is twofold, two lenses, right? So he's telling them these same things, but he's telling us this also. So we overcome any social, economic, or ethnic um, things that divide us because what we have in common now is what? Who do we have in common? Go ahead and say it. Jesus. Sunday school answer. Remember, every answer is Jesus. Okay. So, um, so we, what we have in common in Jesus, it's for, far more, it's more important than anything else uh, in our lives. To the Gentiles and Jews, that meant their nationality. Everything that they had grown up to believe, everything that they had thought about one another, okay, that is set aside. The most important thing is their identity in Jesus. So again, that's what Jesus brought to us in our horizontal relationship. What God does to us vertically affects us horizontally. And let me, let me sum this section up here, um, a quote from uh, Pastor Sam Storm in his commentary on this. He said this. This is what this all means. God's aim in the gospel isn't simply to reconcile you to himself. It is also to reconcile you to the people of a different race, a different ethnicity, so that as one people, one body, we might all love each other and love God to his glory. Therefore, in the sight of God, there is no such thing as an Asian church or a white church or a Hispanic church or a black church or the Native American Indian church. There is only the church. In the church, in the body of Christ, racial or ethnic distinctives, they're real. They don't go away, okay? But they don't matter. When we are born again, our ethnic identity doesn't disappear. Our skin pigmentation doesn't change. But nothing of significance is based on those differences. We are united as one. We are a new man in Christ. God dwells by his spirit in all his people without regard for ethnicity. And so that's the body of Christ. That's who we're worshiping with when we go to heaven. Every knee and every tongue will confess that Jesus is Lord. All of us together. So reviewing. But now in Christ Jesus, we are brought near to God. He brought peace into our lives. He made us one. He broken down the dividing wall of hostility, uh, created a new man. He reconciled us to God. He killed the hostility. Having, we now have access to the Father. We are fellow citizens and members of the household of God. Okay. So let's, let's wrap this up. Verse 19 begins, so then. In other words, this is the conclusion. So Paul has, has uh, just mastered, he, he has put so much in these few passages here, but he's going to bring it into a conclusion. In other words, because of all that Jesus has done to birth the church and to bring it together, Paul concludes by telling us something that I think at times is hard for us to grasp here. And that is that the body of Christ, the church, okay, 
is actually, we're actually the dwelling place of God. Verse 19. So when you are no longer strangers and aliens, but you are, you are fellow citizens with the saints and members of the household of God. Verse 20. Built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets, Christ Jesus himself being the cornerstone, in whom the whole structure being joined together grows into a holy temple of the Lord. Remember, Jesus Christ, he holds everything together. In him, you also are being built into a dwelling place for God by the Spirit. And so Paul explains, he uses three images here to explain this to us. And um, worship team, you can go ahead and come up now if you want. So he uses three things. Number one, that we are fellow citizens together. And number two, we are not just fellow citizens, but we are a family, members of the household of God, it says. So fellow citizens, it gets a little more intimate where it says members of the household of God. We're the same household. We live in the same house, the same place. We knock on the same door and we walk through it and that is our household, okay? And then it gets even better. We are God's temple. Verse 20, built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets, okay? Then the most important ingredient, Christ Jesus himself being the cornerstone. So it is the, the one that holds everything together. Um, he holds up the entire body of Christ, the entire building. 21, in whom the whole structure being joined together grows into a holy temple in the Lord. And then finally in verse 22, in him, once again, Jesus, you also are being built together into a dwelling place for God by the Spirit. It's fascinating. It's amazing. It's hard for us to get our heads around us, but God is in us. He is in the body of Christ, and when he brings us together, it is holy. So two things. One, we Together, you and I are being built into a dwelling place for God. 1 Peter 2.5 says this, You yourselves like living stones, we're all a piece of this, okay, are being built up as a spiritual house to be a holy priesthood, to offer spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. And then secondly, this means that God actually inhabits the body of Christ. He inhabits His church. In the past, if you wanted to go where God's presence dwelt, you had to go, okay, to the temple. Now, if you want to go where God's presence dwells, you go among his people, the church. We're just a part of that body of Christ, but God dwells here. He's here. He dwells here. We are where God dwells. How cool is that? How cool is that? If you want to look back at 22, I think you might see the Trinity there too. So we're going to conclude our message today by acknowledging everything that, that God has told us in his word. And so we're going to take communion together at this time, and hopefully you have the elements with you. And this is going to be part of, uh, you know, in each message we would like to try to give you some type of an application, you know, what you do um, with the word of God of what you've heard. And so this is part of our application. We'll have some more things afterwards here. But I want you to, to, to grab your communion cup here. 
And we're going to take communion. I want you to remember what Jesus did for us, okay, on the cross, using this message today. So, I want you to take the bread. Go ahead and take the bread out here. And before you eat it, I want you to remember your backstory. Before Jesus in your life, remember your backstory. Think about that for a second. The bread, of course, represents Jesus' body broken for you and for me. And you can thank him that he has moved you from that backstory. Go ahead, partake. And before you drink it, thank Jesus for who you are now in him. Your position and the blessings that we learned all about in chapter 1. All those things are a part of us. And once you thank Jesus for that, go ahead and drink the juice. you die for our sins. Not only did you take a look and see our backstory, but our backstory is the thing that brought you to the cross. Our alienation from you. Where we didn't want you in our life. But then you conquered death and you rose again. So not only did you die, but you rose. You conquered death. And so we remember that where we were, Father, but now, because of what you did, we are with you. You are in us. You dwell among the body of Christ. And we thank you for that. We pray this in Jesus' name. Thanks. So some, some application. Where do we take all these wonderful words and promises and, and position that we are now in. Well, our first application was uh, taking communion and just remembering that through communion. Second application, um, this is what I would like for you to do if you want, okay? I want you to trace every reference to Jesus directly or indirectly through this section of Scripture. You're going to find Jesus so many places, so many times. So this is going to cement in you just the all-encompassing encompassing work of 
Jesus in your life. You are going to see him weaved through this whole section of scripture. Okay, this next one is uh, for life groups, okay? And if you're not in a life group, get in a life group, okay? No, just kidding. But you can sign up for a life group, but if not, you can do this on your own, okay? So in your life groups, if you guys want to, life group leaders, I want you to go around and share with one another two different things, okay? Part of our, our the title of this. First, remember. Go around and share your backstory. It might be vulnerable for some of you, but this is just a way to get to know one another, know one another that much more. But to hear the backstory, where we all came from. So if you could do that, all right? So remember, and then go back and share your but now, all right? How Jesus has changed your life. I think if you do this, you're going to have a powerful life group, okay? Backstory, remember, but now. So that's the application. Okay, we are going to have a, a blessing. I'm going to say a blessing over you. But I'll remind you that um, if you want to be prayed for, you can come forward after the service. There'll be some people here. I'll be here for a little bit. Um, if you're wondering about this whole Christianity thing and you're living in a backstory that is tumultuous, it feels like you're just going from one thing to the next. Uh, you don't know which direction you're going. You are, are troubled, and you want to find peace. You want the but now in your life. Um, come forward, and uh, we'll tell you about that, what it means to follow Jesus, to accept him as your Lord and Savior, and, uh, and live with him. So, all right, raise your hand. Blessing that I say each time I'm able to come up here, number six, 24 through 26. The Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face shine upon you and be gracious to you. The Lord lift up his countenance upon you and give you peace. Amen? Amen. Amen. Thanks for being here. And like I said, come on up for uh, if you just want to talk for some prayer. Have a great day in the Lord.